Hi, I'm George Tekmachov. This is Easton Target Podcast 146, a retrospective of the Tokyo Games and some very important events coming up, and no one better to join us than the Secretary General of World Archery, Tom Dillon. Tom, thanks for taking the time again to join us today. Pleasure, George, as always. What a momentous, what, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten days by the time things were done in Tokyo. A um, lot to talk about, but also a lot of positive things coming out of it that, you know, you and I have been talking about for months that we would anticipate that we would see new Olympic champions. We got that. We knew that we would see a different type of Olympics. We got that. Uh, just to start out, what was your biggest impression from Tokyo, if you can sum it up for us? Oh, that's a difficult question. Uh, I would say uh, the performance of all of the athletes. Uh, I would say there is, uh, it's clear that if you look pure at, I would say, the results, then Anne, of course, from Korea is, is by far the, the most successful and she was really amazing. Uh, there's no other words for it. Uh, then the performance of um, uh, Mete for the men, fantastic performance. Kim Jae-dok, um, but I, there were so many good matches. Uh, I, I, for instance, the, the match between Unruh, Florian Unruh and, and Kim Jae-dok was a fantastic match. He had the, the shoot-off uh, that Mackenzie Brown got into. Uh, we had uh, the, the shoot-off between the Japanese men and Korean men in the, the men's team. That was a fantastic match. I, this was the match where we were thinking... Damn, we don't have the public. If if that would have been in front of a five thousand plus public from Japan, that would have been such a difference and uh, really fantastic, uh, fantastic event. Yeah, you just summed up every one of my high points on a personal level. I, I had all of the ones that you tracked right down the list, um, pretty much in that order. And yeah, I had the exact same thought, Tom. That if what a magnificent venue, by the way. I mean, if it had been full of spectators, it would have been over the top as arguably, you know, as, as the IOC likes to say at the close of every game is the finest Olympics yet. And I don't think there's any disputing that it would have been at least right up there with Lords in London. And I think that uh, the Japanese fans would have made it even more memorable. But the performances of the athletes got the full focus and... I would say that that probably affected some of the outcomes, potentially things that we'll never know that we can speculate on forever, but it's undoubt undoubtedly we saw the very best performance our sport has to offer from people like Ansan. Yeah, absolutely. I, like you say, it's, it's difficult to say we, we know certain of our athletes, they drive on, on public support and, and they would have performed probably better with public but okay, that's as it is, and uh, nothing to do about that. Uh, uh, I, I remember discussing with with a former Olympic champion, and he said uh, it was related to the rules, and he said uh, the best the best champion is the one who wins with the medals and the conditions in place. And and I would say you know, the conditions were here that uh, there was no public, and so yeah, that's uh, how it is. Um, the other thing, of course, that we were very happy with that it worked uh, quite well was the uh, heart rate monitoring. Uh, we oh, were yeah. quite happy with that uh, because it, it allowed us to show some of the stress the athletes are going through. And uh, in some of the key matches, that was very clear. Yeah, that's not to be underestimated. I mean, that was a new technology. It's an old technology, but it was a new implementation of a new technology in terms of how it was gathered with no, you know, no touch, no device, nothing needed for the archer to think about. Um, so it didn't have any impact on the archer. They probably weren't aware that they were being monitored. They'd probably forgotten about it by then. Um, just to be clear, I think all the athletes had to agree that we're monitored. They had to agree to be monitored. Absolutely. There was a consent form and we didn't force anyone to sign. Uh, we, we had 92%. Um, and uh, in... As of the one quarter final for both men and women, all the athletes competing had signed the consent form. We even had an automatic system in place that if one of the two athletes had not signed the consent form, the cameras were switched automatically off. So there was no risk that uh, a match would be using the data 
if the athlete did not agree. And while we may be wrong as observers, as commentators, in making assumptions about an athlete's uh, individual stress level by looking at the heart rate, I think it's pretty clear. We did see some correlation between performance and heart rate as the matches got close, as the pressure built. There, there seemed at least, from my observation, to be a clear correlation there. When you see a guy like Kim Woo-jin with a heart rate that did not break 90, breezing through a straight set victory, and then later when he gets in trouble, you see a correlation. That's a valuable tool from the standpoint of trying to understand what's going on. I, it's, an, it's a new dimension that commentators didn't have access to before. And I think it's a really, really useful tool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the thing is, okay, like you said, it also shows the diversity of our athletes because you have certain athletes that, that can perform well with a low heart rate and others that need a higher heart rate. But you saw that when, when things started getting to a third, fourth, fifth set, that tension was going up, even with the ones that had a lower heart rate. So it is definitely something that is a tool for the public at large to understand. Now, I wouldn't see it as a coaching tool uh, with the way it was implemented, uh, because for that, you would really need to see the evolution on a continuous basis, which the technology at the moment does not allow. Uh, for that, you still need a, a, a strap kind of a um, sensor. Uh, but uh, it, it definitely shows the public at large that, well, it's not so easy standing still and uh, pulling back an arrow and putting it in the middle. There is a lot of stress going on, and, and we were seeing 160s, 170s uh, that no one would expect for people standing still. People who are under stress as a part of their profession, police officers, military, uh, studies have been made in that area. And it turns out fine motor skills are actually enhanced with a slightly elevated heart rate. And by slightly, I mean something south of about 136 or so for the average person. And it was interesting with that knowledge base to look at the performance level of the shooters. We saw most, the vast majority of these shooters, as one might expect, to be in a high performance zone. Now, when you get above some of those levels, you start losing fine motor skills and gross motor skills start coming into play, which arguably isn't the best thing for archery. But it gave us insight, and I think that that had huge value. Switching to the topic of Ansan for a moment, we now have the most decorated archer in a single Olympic Games. Not something that we thought had the potential to happen because we knew that with the new mixed team medal, we could be seeing one individual with up to three medals. And I think that you might agree that the odds favored that that might very well be one of the Korean women, as it turned out. But it's interesting to note that Ann San is not the most decorated archer in Korean history yet. She is actually tied for something like fourth. There's other uh, Korean Olympians who've earned more medals at Olympic Games. And the question of the longevity of Ann San's career may answer whether she becomes the best in history. Right now, Yoon Min Jin, uh, back in 2000, won the individual and team gold, and then another team title after that uh, in, in uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was in Beijing. And uh, Kibo Bay, Pak Sung Han, and Kim Soon Young are still ahead in terms of sheer medal count. But uh, we're looking at the potential for this woman to be one of the greats, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's only 20, so uh, she has plenty of time ahead of her. Uh, and uh, yeah, she's, she's a wonderful, she really uh, stood up against the pressure because um, as you might have seen or heard, there was a lot of pressure on her for absolutely non-sportive reasons. And, and, and she delivered and she was fun, really fantastic in, in the way she handled the stress also in the, let's say, the media and press conferences afterwards. She really did fantastic. Yeah. And, and just to give our, our listeners who might not know some insight on that, I, I really, you know, it's a distasteful topic, but she was attacked for her haircut 
by by some people on social media. Um, and I'm not going to get into the whole cultural aspect of it, but suffice it to say, for the most petty reasons in the world, she found herself being attacked online. Um, you know, something that, you know, when you and I were growing up, Tom, if somebody wanted to attack you, they, they had to do it face to face. People like Ansan have grown up completely immersed in social media. It is a fundamental aspect of their lives that maybe people our age can't completely relate to. Yeah, we're both involved in social media, but to, to deal with the kinds of things that she dealt with from people attacking her for her haircut uh, required an extra level of armor, uh, a bit of resilience, because uh, it was actually quite a serious thing in her country. Um, and I think that, you know, we need to appreciate the fact that she was able to put that aside and perform at this very highest level. Uh, during the Olympic Games, athletes are protected a little bit from some of this stuff. But at night in the Olympic Village, you're checking your phone, your Instagram is blown up with, you know, nasty messages about you and your haircut. It just seems very unseemly and sad. And, and uh, while it has no reflection on her at all, I, I do hope that going forward, uh, we don't hear more stories like that about our athletes because it's just not fair. No, it's, it's, I would say it's, 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 I would say it's, it's sad. And okay, even the, the Korean president had to send a message of support to her and so on. So it's, it's, it is sad. And, and okay, we had some similar things in, in Rio with uh, the fact that uh, in Korea there is, a, a, I would say, a culture of eating dog uh, meat and, and that uh, um, they... Um, it was Kibo Bay that was under attack because she hadn't taken a position against it, not even that she was doing it, but not taking a position against it. And these kind of, I would say, things are, are, are part of the social media environment. But but come on, uh, we're there to do a, a sports competition and having uh, athletes win uh, medals because of performance, not because if they're good or bad in handling attacks on social media. And that's that's a very sad thing uh, as such. We've, we've had... Anne was not the only one who had issues with that. There's other stories uh, that happened in in uh, in Tokyo with people uh, being, um, say, under attack in some kind of way on, on social media. And, and this this really has to stop. This is uh, people people can't say or or or, or do anything anymore and, and, and get, uh, immediately get attacked. And it's really bad. You know, one of my favorite memes is a photo of a slide in a PowerPoint presentation. And on the slide, it says that social media has made too many of you comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the mouth for it. I think it's amusing to contemplate the fact that there's no one who would have the nerve to say some of the things that people say in social media to another person's face. Unless you're some kind of psychopath, there's no way that you would utter such things, but it seems to be quite normal for some people to do that sort of thing. And I fear a little bit, Tom, in the Olympic movement, I fear a little bit that we're going to be seeing a little more of that because of the controversy uh, that we don't even need to get into, but some of the controversy, the political judgments, the, the sorts of things that, that are being discussed right now with Beijing coming up for the Winter Games and some other aspects of Olympism. Um, I, I think it is a reality that we are in a different type of interpersonal social discourse than we grew up with. And I, like you said, it has to stop. And I don't know how to make it stop. I know that WA doesn't know how to make it stop. But hopefully, we'll be seeing some kind of a sea change, some kind of a attitude change. Uh, as things move forward, because this is just not acceptable. Yeah. Okay, so All right. let's talk about something more positive. Yeah, let's do. I mean, think of so many great things that came out of the games. You know, you guys you guys are mean to Dean Alberga. He pushed his shutter 24,000 times. You made him pick the five best photos from the <laughs> Olympic Games. And, and if people want to see that, they can go to worldarchery.sport right now and see Dean's story where poor Dean had to pick out five photos out of more than 24,000. I think he did a great job, by the way. I, I think that everybody will agree when they look at the photos he's picked, but that's like oh. trying to pick, that's like trying to pick your favorite children. That can't be easy. 
No, it's uh, and I would say all hats off to Dean because uh, knowing how hot it was uh, being out there uh, taking those pictures, uh, he did a fantastic job. As did all other photographers, uh, Yoshi Tomatsu as well, uh, yeah, and, and many others. And uh, they they make our sport uh, stay on forever. And uh, we also had, of course, great TV images uh, and uh, and and, av and available uh, really as good as everywhere in, in on this planet. Yeah, to that point here in the United States, uh, it was extremely easy to access the live streams. Uh, Steve Anderson and I were up till three in the morning watching the live streams in our respective homes and actually trading texts, commenting back and forth, basically a running commentary. Um, to get Steve Anderson to watch Olympic archery, I mean, you know that guy. <laughs> yeah, so that's something to do with a challenge between the two of you on which type of uh, quiver you should use, no? There's no challenge. I've already won. It's done. Uh, target quivers <laughs> are the way to go for target archery, and field quivers are the way to go for field archery, and, and that's my opinion. Now, with that said, uh, <laughs> all joking aside, and of course, that was just a, a sort of a running joke we had during the week of the Olympics, um, we, we saw all kinds of... Uh, athletes like we normally do uh, but tom the trend toward youth seems to continue on the podium and no one exemplified that more than the brilliant meta gazos what a win yeah but i uh no one can argue that he, he definitely deserved that win he shot the tens when he needed them and uh he impressed everyone do you like I do see him as the exemplar of the purpose of the youth Olympic games, because after all, that's where he got his start. And then he was able well, to I, in Rio. I, I, I would say yes, uh, it, for sure. It helped him in the, in getting ready for it. Um, we've, we've, it's clear that it, it, it is an example of the youth games. There's no discussion. But he's also an example of some advancement, slow, but steady that we've seen in Turkey. You know, Turkey has always been, uh, in my mind, the hero of world archery from the standpoint of events. You know, when, when other countries had issues putting on events, Turkey would step up with minimal notice and get it done. In my personal opinion, having been there many times, I think they do an exemplary job of putting on events. But they were always running just a little short in medal count when it came certainly to the Olympic Games until now. Do you think that this is going to launch uh, some new growth for the sport in that country and in that region? Oh, definitely. Uh, the thing is, like you said, uh, they, they were a little bit unlucky in the past. Uh, and, and, and I must say that uh, that feeling was also uh, on site when they got fourth in the mixed team. Um, and okay, it was a little bit the match between the two teams uh, for bronze that that have the habit uh, of, of finishing fourth, which was Mexico and Turkey. And then okay, Mexico was the one that uh, got the, the bronze medal. But uh, I, I would say at that time the the, the feeling for sure from many uh, on side was okay. Uh, well, they're again fourth, and so when Mete won that uh, that semi final, uh, I can tell you at that time. It didn't really matter for them if it would be gold or silver. They had done that medal finally after uh, several attempts uh, going back to to Sydney, if I'm not wrong, uh, where they finished fourth. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's been it's been really uh, fantastic for them, and it will it will definitely create a new way of of thinking. Uh, at the moment, okay, the games haven't finished yet, so there is still. Uh, uh, three days to go, I do, uh, two full days to go. And for the moment, it's the only gold medal from Turkey. So definitely it will have an impact. Absolutely. And speaking of impacts, you know, it's expected that Korea is going to do well. And in fact, you run into some media narratives that say, ah, oh, Korea didn't do as well as expected because they didn't sweep all the gold medals. But, you know, as you know, and, and as I've mentioned to listeners before, any medal is a great medal in many countries it's it's mostly uh, in my perspective it's kind of an american thing for us to just sort of glamorize the gold medals but that silver medal from maro nespoli that's a big deal in italy and it is going to absolutely help to elevate the level of our sport there as well i think 
Yes, absolutely. And then I would say uh, even more than that, because, okay, you can say Maro, it's a fantastic accomplishment for Maro being silver medalist. But uh, the fact that uh, in the Lucilla. women they had a bronze medal with uh, Lucila yep. Mabari uh, is, is even more significant because that's the first ever individual medal uh, from an Italian uh, woman in archery. So um, the, I would say the, the two Italian medals were definitely significant. Um, and uh, yeah, all the medals with nine countries with medals is fantastic. Uh, the Mexican medals uh, in the mixed, the Dutch, uh, let's face it, uh, we, we also had, uh, I would say, the, the fantastic silver medal and, and well-deserved because Koreans had to shoot a, a Robin Hood in the last arrow to, uh, to win that one. Uh, and, uh, and, well, Gabby and uh, Steve pulled it off. Uh, it was great. Gabby and Steve did something else, or I guess I could say that uh, you could really look at this as the new standard for how to show respect to your teammate. Gabby and Steve put each other's medals on and... I thought that that gesture was very, very important to show the teamwork and the unity of the mixed team event. Absolutely. There was uh, something and it's becoming a little bit of a trend. We, I've seen it in other sports afterwards as well. So, yeah, it's, it's really good. We also had, of course, um, you know, the, the real goal of the mixed team was to show uh, the gender equality in our sport. And I think many of those matches not only showed equality, but showed supremacy by some of the women shooters, as often is the case in mixed team. Do you know if uh, if IOC was able to take note of the mixed team event in archery? And did you get any feedback? Uh, we had uh, the best, uh, I would say, uh, view on it uh, because we had uh, the IOC president watching the, the, the bronze and gold medal uh, final for the mixed team, and he was absolutely excited by it. And uh, I think it's it's been a great promotion for our sport, uh, and and also a great promotion for the women's uh, development of our sport because we had we had a little bit less uh, countries participating, but more countries with women, uh, uh, both men and women. In, in and this was of course as a result of the mixed team. There'll be a lot more to talk about after the uh, uh, Olympic Games, but uh, I think for now, uh, let's just remember that we had them. And if we hadn't, it would be a very difficult time for our sport. And it's got to be with a sense of relief, Tom, that the wheels came up on your airplane when you left Tokyo. Absolutely. And speaking of airplanes, you're pretty soon you're going to be headed to the Youth World Championships in Russia, Poland. Can you give us uh, some idea of what people can expect as that event is just about to get underway? A big gathering oh, have, of the best youth from around the world. Yeah, we have a great participation. We have uh, over 500 athletes participating. Uh, it, it's going to see, okay, which are the newcomers on the block uh, for the future. Uh, uh, unfortunately, Korea is not participating. They, uh, for, for reasons linked to COVID, they couldn't make it. Uh, so we will have some countries that might not be there for, for COVID reasons, but uh, we will have great participation, great level of competition. Uh, some of the youngsters that were in Tokyo uh, will be there as well. Uh, and uh, we'll see how they will do in uh, a different climate. Uh, I, I just hope for the organizers because... Uh, our friends in Poland uh, have organized uh, several events in Wroclaw uh, or, or the same region, uh, Lenincha. And, and often the weather has been, uh, I would say, quite uh, uh, destructive. Uh, I think I've been there several times when uh, the whole tent structure was uh, destroyed because of heavy winds and, and, and storms. So I, I just really hope, uh, touching wood, that uh, they, they will have an event with, with no bad weather for a change. And... Uh, and 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 Rostov knows how to organize. They've done a great uh, uh, couple of events with the World Cup. We had the World Cup stages, and of course also the World Games uh, some years ago. So they know how to organize, and, and I'm sure we'll get uh, some great results there. Well, Tom, I think that uh, Europe has had a tough summer weather-wise, but yeah. thankfully, thankfully, it appears that the weather will be reasonably good in uh, Roslov for the next uh, month, or, or excuse me, for the next, it appears the weather will be good for the next week or so. Oof. So hopefully that will uh, that will be a positive thing. Just a little rain, bring your umbrella. 
but um, it looks like sunny weather starting on Monday. So hopefully that'll be a pleasant experience for everybody involved. And, and we look forward to seeing our future Olympians and our future compound champions uh, perhaps to be revealed by this Youth World Archery Championship, which wraps up on the 15th of August, which, by the way, does not leave you a lot of time, Tom, for the next big event on the calendar. Uh, the test event is done. Now it's time for the Paralympics at the end of the month. And, <laughs> uh, you know, the, uh, the Paralympians like to talk about the Olympics yeah. as being the test event for the, Olymp for the Paralympic Games. Um, I've got some friends who are on the Paralympic team here in the United States, and I can say that uh, uh, they're eagerly waiting their turn in the barrel to head to Tokyo to the same venue. Um, preparations, you know, you do get a little time off if you're, if you're somebody like Yuko and you've just spent the last three years running maximum overdrive and then, uh, you know, boom, it's over. And then you got to get ready for the Paralympics again. Uh, what are your thoughts regarding the upcoming Paralympics and maybe some lessons learned from Tokyo to apply to how those will be run? Well, I think the, the, the Paralympics I, uh, is, is definitely, I would say, uh, an event which I always look forward to because uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit the Olympic Games, but in a more relaxed way, uh, because you already know the challenges, you already know what works and what doesn't work at the venue uh, and so on. The, the biggest challenge that, that we see coming up is, is the possibilities with weather. Um, we are close to the typhoon season. We already had to make schedule changes in the Olympics because of a typhoon. Um, so weather will be a major factor. We hope that we will get through uh, the event without any changes to the schedule. The other thing, of course, is that uh, the cases uh, of COVID uh, are on the rise in Japan that is not linked to the Olympics. Uh, I want to be very clear on that, but it is just linked to the fact that there is uh, COVID cases in Japan. Uh, and that might have an effect on, on how things will operate during the Paralympic Games. Uh, I think the, we should not be making any, uh, I would say, uh, promise or, or dream of having spectators. I think that's not going to happen. There was some discussion that that might be the case if things were getting better. But let's face it, it's not getting better. So spectators will be the same situation as for the Olympics. Uh, and for the rest, okay, uh, uh, we have some great athletes coming. We have uh, some that have been in Paralympics before. We have some new kids on the block. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, and uh, we will start with uh, the compounds, uh, the W1s, uh, and then we will finish off with the recurve at the end. So uh, we really look forward to, to a great uh, competition. The, the, the the schedule is a little bit different is that we don't have those long days of eliminations. We have every time an event starting in the morning and finishing the same day with a medal. So that, that is also easier to follow for people as such. Right after the Tokyo Paralympic Games wrap up on the 4th of September, you're going to have to turn around and get ready for the big culmination of events for the end of the year. The World Championship, the World Archery Congress, and also the World Cup final, all of which will take place in Bruce Call's backyard. <laughs> uh, literally the world's largest archery center dedicated for, for the sport, the Yankton uh, Archery Center. And uh, that is going to be, I think, uh, a fitting uh, conclusion to the season. Uh, looking forward to Yankton and, uh, and seeing you there, Tom. Absolutely, and I'm sure we'll have time to talk uh, after the Paralympics uh, uh, to preview that one, the Congress uh, and, and the Championships and the World Cup Final, for which, uh, well, we, we have, don't have a confirmation yet, but in principle, Anne and uh, Mete have qualified for that World Cup Final, which we, they wouldn't have based on the results of the season, but thanks to their Olympic title, they have also qualified for the World Cup Final. So that will be exciting uh, to see. Yes, absolutely. And uh, that's kind of breaking news. I mean, that is something that we hadn't heard before. So presuming that they are allowed to, to uh, travel and to uh, join us for that event, that will be a spectacular thing to potentially have Ansan and Metegadzos, the Olympic champions, in the World Cup final. Um, and in fact, at this time, uh, I think WA is still waiting on some confirmations for 
some of the participants, but we do know some of the people who are qualified, people like Braden Galantine in the compound category. And um, I, I guarantee, uh, looking at you know who's qualified, I guarantee this is going to be one of the best World Cup finals yet. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, one other thing that people might not be aware of, but that's, that's at stake at the Paralympics, is that in the compound um, open men and women, the two that uh, win the Paralympics would also automatically qualify for the World Games in Birmingham, Alabama next year, which is also something special because we will have for the first time, I would say, Paralympics uh, athletes uh, participate in the World Games uh, because of them winning the Paralympics. So this is something uh, quite unique and uh, we'll see what that brings. And uh, for the people listening that are in the States, uh, ticket sales in Birmingham have actually started. So if you want to see some great uh, compound uh, archery in Target or field archery in Bearborn Recurve, it's the moment to get tickets. In fact, that's the second largest multi-games, uh, multi-sport games uh, outside of the Olympic Games. And uh, World Games and IOC work closely together. World Games, you might think of, Tom, as the development um, sort of the, the dry run for, for sports that want to become Olympic sports. And therefore, we have compound in there with uh, uh, field archery for recurve and target archery for compound, if I have it right. Yeah, and Bambo for the field as well. Yeah. So uh, every form of archery, including Paralympic archery, uh, will be available in Birmingham next year. And I think that uh, there's other great events next year. World Masters Games scheduled for next year as well in Totori uh, Prefecture in Japan. And, uh, you know, we'll have plenty of time to talk about all those things. But the point being, and it comes back to what we started talking about all the way back in February, our sport really is back. And in spite of the fact that the world is not yet quite normal, we're doing the best we can to have normal events. And, uh, you know, those changes we've had to make, I think everybody had a really good time in Tokyo in terms of being able to deal with those things, Tom. I didn't hear of any issues in our sport. Well, there were some behind the scenes, but uh, we can discuss that uh, another time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, have a safe trip to the Junior World Championships, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up to you when you get back from that event. Uh, we'll also look forward to talking about Yankton, a preview of Yankton, um, and also a preview of some of the initiatives uh, that Congress will be looking at, the World Archery Congress, one of which is not Steve Anderson's ban on target quivers. <laughs> okay, George. So great for Tom Dillon to, to catch up with us um, with his busy schedule. And now another man with another very busy schedule. And that is our guest right now, the CEO of USA Archery, Rod Menzer. Rod, my old friend, how you been? I'm good. Thank you, George. Appreciate you having what a, me. What a spectacular um, week of competition we had in Tokyo. It was Yes. It was riveting. It was really riveting, wasn't it? To see some of our team in action, um, every one of them really doing very well yes. uh, for the USA and some yep. breakthroughs, you know, some, some, some uh, real milestones have been reached. I know the medal count was not what USA Archery um, was hoping for, but I do think progress has been shown, particularly with the kinds of performances we saw from uh, my personal star of the show was Mackenzie Brown, Rod. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think World Archery said it uh, the best when you read their article that they put out of kind of, um, you know, the, the top learnings from the Olympic Games. And they talked about Mackenzie Brown and that was there a person deserving of a medal that didn't get one? Um, it was truly her. Uh, she shot phenomenal. And, and I truly believe her. Her semifinal match um, was the best match of the entire Olympic Games. Um, Absolutely. And, and that was unbelievable uh, how, how well both archers shot. And, um, you know, incredibly proud of Mackenzie and, and how she handled herself, um, you know, at the Games. And she was solid and steady. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a shame that uh, – someone had to lose that match, but that that's the Olympic games. I mean, you have, you know, an incredible amount of archers, the best literally in their country 
and in the world at the Olympic Games. And, you know, it is, you know, we always expect and we want Americans to medal. And it happens a lot. And kudos to us for that. But at the same time, you have to look at everything that they put into it, all of the stuff, just making full teams to the Olympic Games with the final qualifier in Paris and, and how well everybody shot there. And then they go to, you know, to Tokyo and, and they shot well. I mean, the American women, for example, I mean, they, they qualified, you know, at a place that nobody, nobody expected them to qualify that high. No, and, you're absolutely correct. I, you know, myself included, to be brutally honest with you, I did not expect a top five qualification yeah. from the USA women strictly based yeah. on history, you know, but they yes. broke, they broke the, they broke the mold for history in some regards. When you see that McKenzie had the highest American born women's performance at the games with that fourth place finish since 1976, yes. uh, it's, it's very clear that things are changing and, and, you know, maybe didn't change in time for everything you were hoping for from Tokyo, but for sure progress has been made. No question, no question at all. Not, I mean, for, for Mackenzie individually, also, um, I don't, we never know, George, you, you know the history better, but in the modern times, since I've been paying attention, <laughs> um, you know, because we have had phenomenal women uh, shooters in the past um, and gold medalists, right? But qualifying that high in uh, today's era um you know individually we have not had uh, women doing that since the you know the dominance really of the korean women um, came out in, into play right so yep. you know shoot that well and then but you know casey shot well jennifer shot well um they all did what we all wanted them to do and, and because of that they placed you know really really high um in those qualifying and and unfortunately, it didn't work out for them in the team rounds. But, um, you know, it's something for us to, to look forward to. It'll carry over, I, I think, into the world championships. However, the team will be slightly different at the world championships. But, the um, you know, we're going to have solid teams. And, and I think this really helps us to build on a, on a program. And then the men, I mean, <laughs> geez, you know, I mean, Wookiee shot great. Jack shot great. I mean, they... Did they deserve to lose their matches? Not necessarily. They shot really well. I watched an awful lot of archery, and um, they would have won the majority of matches every single time they shot. Um, but, you know, you, like I said, somebody wins, somebody loses, right? With that performance, of course, you know, we, we can certainly look forward to Paris with renewed optimism and certainly uh, look to capitalize on the momentum that I feel has been developed in the U.S. team. And I think that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the next few months, we will, you know, continue to see that performance. As you pointed out, we've got a world championship coming up. Uh, we're we're going to talk about that in some more detail shortly. But uh, in between, we've got another important event going on this week and coming yes. up in another week. And that is first the junior world championship we have a full team in Poland competing right now. Can you tell us a little about those, uh, those kids who are competing for the USA, maybe some of our future stars? Yes. Um, people need to pay attention to every one of these kids because they are good. We have a very, very good team. Um, you know, the last Youth Worlds, uh, the U.S. did incredibly well, and we're expecting the same thing. And a lot of these are, are, are returning. So, you know, when you look at um, – you know, compound men, for example, Cooper French and Cole Frederick and Matthew Russell, um, you know, for, you know, that that's incredibly solid. Um, yeah, I've been following them, you know, this season and and kids like Cooper French, they've been performing really well. And, um, you yeah. know, I think you're going to see guys like him on future podiums for adults. I absolutely believe that. Yeah, no, no question. Those are the juniors, right? And then you look at the cadets. Yeah, arguably. Right. Um, I mean, just as good. I mean, I wouldn't want to put either. The, I would take either of those teams into cadets and juniors. And that, you know, Sawyer Sullivan, you know, two world records um, set in qualification, right? I mean, this, this kid is on fire, shooting phenomenally. And Nathan Zimmerman and Isaac uh, Sullivan, you know, really good 
uh, cadets um, on the compound side. And, and the junior compound women, I mean, Anna Scarborough, McKenna Proctor, Madison Cox, you know, I mean, and then you look at the cadets, it's Sydney Sullenberger, um, Carson Crine, and uh, Brielle Osinich, I believe. Os I'm going to kill her name, and I apologize to her right now. Um, Osnich, I believe, is, you know, that's, that's our cadet squad. Yeah. And just phenomenal, really, really good talent. Um, you know, the one thing that was really fun to watch, um, looking at our trials and watching the, ju the junior trials, the depth of the men's and women's compound is unbelievable. And then even going to the recurve side, it is incredibly deep. I mean, you look at, again, the age of, of a lot of our Olympians, right? And that's the one thing. Our women, right? We had two of them, 18 and 17. Well, the alternate, Catalina, I mean, she's 18 or just turning 18, I believe. Um, she's still 17. Um, Isabella Frederick on the recurve, you know, recurve junior, and then Casey. So th those three are the junior um, recurve team for us. I mean, that's just wonderful. And they're going with Trenton Scowls and Joseph Scarborough and Jusin O, um, who you know, are <laughs> phenomenal. They, they'll compete with our senior men right now. And Absolutely. Time, if not beat them, right? Uh, so it's it's unbelievable to really look at at the team. And that's and, all and, I can keep saying. And that's I know as much a lot, but they're really, really good. Emma Kim and Andrew Yo and Davis Bovey and Christian Stoddard. I mean, Jeepers, Jordan, um, you know, Cam Chung, just unbelievable talent young. Um, so to your point earlier, um, we've got, you know, really good future and hopefully they'll continue to push themselves. Um, you look at Gabrielle Sasai, who's going to be at our world team. You know, she's on our world team. Again, another youngster. I, I'm not sure if she's 17 or 18, if she just turned 18 possibly, but I believe she's 17. And, and it's just, again, these, these, uh, young ladies are, are really performing and the young men uh, right next to them are, are just shooting phenomenal. I mean, Jusano set world records at our Olympic trials, right? The Trent Cowles won the youth Olympics. You know, it's, it looks good for the future. Yeah. And, and remember those names folks, because just like Grady Ellison started out as yeah. a compound cadet, yes. making his mark at a world junior championship, you're going to see the same names coming up in the future as USA Archery continues to build a strong pipeline of depth. And, uh, you know, I think that, Rod, as much as anything else, even as much as an Olympic medal would have meant, uh, that achievement is really important and something that should not be ignored because without that, you know, um, a lot of countries would be very, very happy to be in the position that you're in from the standpoint of having the, the future athlete pipeline that has been created over the last, say, decade and a half. And uh, I mean, well, it's not something that happens well overnight. No, well, well said, George. I mean, if you look at most of those Olympians, they were in their mid to late 20s, right? And right. especially those in the, in the metal area were generally – you know, they're even up to, you know, getting close to 30 there and half, well, two thirds of our team were 18 and under on the women's side and yeah. on the men's side, you know, Brady's the old veteran there at 30 or 32 or whatever he is, but um, everybody else, well, Wookiee too, about the same age. Um, but you look at, you know, it's a solid team. I mean, it's just Jack, Jack is young and he's got many Olympics left ahead of him as well. Uh, so again, I, I am very encouraged and really um, excited about uh, the pipeline at this point. Now, looking ahead, we also have the Paralympic Games and yes. the United States traditionally has had some real bangers, some serious hombres and ladies to represent. Uh, none less than some of the famous ones like, uh, you know, guys like uh, Matt Stutzman, but yep. we've also had traditionally, um, you know, sort of a, a, an old guard of really solid performers. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of Eric in particular, but there's, there's oh, been yes. so much um, 
and, and they're so great to watch. They're so inspirational. Once yeah. again, we've got another great team headed to Tokyo to represent in the Paralympic Games. Absolutely. You look at the reigning Olympic gold medalist, Andre Shelby, is on the team, right? Yeah. He is to be there to defend his title. Um, you know, KJ is, is I mean, the, yeah, the compound open men is just we're ready to go. On the recurve side, I mean, on the ladies, we, we've got some some youngsters that are new, really, to recurve archery and for just a couple of years, uh, doing well. I mean, you've got incredible veterans out there. Leah Coriel on the women. Um, I mean, she's, Leah is, done, she has done so much for para-archery. And, you know, it's exciting it's exciting to see her there, which is probably going to be her last games just because of her condition continues to deteriorate. And it's unfortunate because she is such a leader and such a, a great person, but she'll be competitive and she's going to give it her all. That is for sure. But, you know, look at the worlds, um, you know, the para world and see the results that we had there. And those teams are pretty much intact um, on the recurve side. Again, I, Jeepers. I mean, they're, they're ready to go. Eric has been shooting really, really well. And um, I mean, Kevin Mather, I mean, these guys, they're good. And yeah. Yeah. They are. Yeah. yeah. Between Eric Bennett and Kevin Mather, uh, you know, you, you could take those two guys and swap them into any uh, regular yeah. recurve team and have a good performance. I'm serious. I mean, those guys yeah. are, are, are just, just uh, solid, <laughs> solid shooters. Yeah, not and, to mention and, solid Paralympians. So exactly, exactly. So I, I'm really excited, and I hope people pay attention to the Paralympics. Sometimes it gets kind of left off the uh, radar for a lot of folks, but um, follow it, watch it. You'll enjoy it. The competition is tremendous. The, the athletes are amazing, and you know, I, I I don't know about you, George, but you know, I'm an Olympic nut and. I'll follow the Olympics all the time. And the Paralympics is the same thing. It is the Olympic games. And it, it's, um, I'm going to just, once again, not get much sleep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, all joking aside, you, you can argue, you can argue from a purity standpoint, right. From a, from a purity of sport standpoint, it's pretty hard to find a better example of humanity overcoming challenges and really showing spirit than you'll get from these Paralympic games coming up and the ones we've seen in the past. So absolutely. inspirational people, every single one of them, and we wish them absolutely the best performance and hopefully some cooler weather as Tokyo starts to uh, <laughs> head into the typhoon season. It's a little worrisome yeah, there, Rod. I, I know. And you know, the, the interesting thing, and I don't think a lot of people understand, but for quite a few of our Paralympic team and Paralympians in general, um, they have a much harder time regulating their body temperature. So the heat and humidity in Tokyo is definitely going to be a factor um, in this games. And you know, we've done some things and been working for quite a while with ice vests and, um, you know, trying to mitigate that and, and to hopefully, you know, give our athletes an edge and hopefully they all are going to stay healthy and, and not be affected too much by the, by the heat and humidity, but we're right into it, as you pointed out. And, um, but again, just shows every, everywhere they go in life, they overcome obstacles. And this is just another one. Yep, ab absolutely. And, uh, you know, we will follow them closely as that event gets underway just, um, less than a week and a half from now. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, some interesting news and good news from world archery today, the final ranking list for the 2021 Hyundai Archery World Cup final has been assigned. So now we know all 32 archers who will compete in Yankton after this year's world championship. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, but first uh, I brought up the world championship. Now a good time to talk about it. First time in a while that we've had a world championship in the United States, Rod. We've got it uh, all the way back to New York uh, in 2003. And now we're, we're back with another world championship bruce cull and his team in yankton helping to put that on and yeah. um you know cooperative effort with everybody involved and you're looking at a big event um you got the obviously the world championship 
the World Archery Congress, as well as the World Cup final. And the United States has strong teams for both of those major events, both the World Championship and the World Cup final. Um, it's traditional that home soil generally brings success. Wasn't necessarily the case 100% for us in New York the last time we saw a World Championship here. But I think that we have a powerhouse team. And when you consider uh, who is representing the United States of America, including many of our Olympians, uh, I'm expecting us to do pretty well at these World Championships, Rob. Yes. Um, you know, replacing Jacob Wookie on the men's recurve is Matthew Nofel. And, you know, Matt is, again, you look at Jack and Matt, they're, they're youngsters, right? They're, they're in their early 20s. Um, yep. So, and they're only getting better every single week. And the defending world champion, Brady Ellison, will be anchoring yeah, the team yeah. once again. Yeah, he's not bad. He's, no, he's pretty no, he's, he's okay. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he might be. Yeah, the other guys might carry him, but you know, hey, he's. <laughs> yeah, if for he, people wondering, uh, Wookie did not participate in that world correct. championship process. He didn't participate in the, he focused right. on the Olympic Games. And so Matt Noble, yep. who was our fourth, he was our alternate for Tokyo 2020. Heck yes. of a shooter. I mean, really, really yep. good. Uh, he just got edged out by Wookie pretty much on the last couple of days. Um, yeah, it came and, down to the last day, the last couple of matches. Um, yeah. For him not to make the team. So I'll bet, I'll bet he's got a little fire in the belly right now. Yeah. And he's been, tra he's been training hard um, in Chula Vista and, and again, doing well. So I think again, he's, this will be his first, you know, big event. And uh, I expect him to do really well. He's a good, good young man. And again, a very, very solid team for us. And so once again, we're going to see the, uh, you know, the exciting American women's duo of Casey Coffold. And we're going to be seeing, once again, Mackenzie Brown joined by a new third shooter, Rod. Yes, Gabrielle Sasai. So she's been, if you're following our USAT events this year, she shot great in every single one of them. A very, very pleasant young lady. This team is, yeah. just, it is full yeah. of youth, and she, she is going to do a great job. Uh, Jennifer uh, finished fourth um, in, in the world uh, trials. Uh, but again, her focus was on the Olympics and, and, uh, but Gabrielle, she shot phenomenal and, um, edged her out for that third spot. So, yeah. Again, so this will, this will be an exciting event, no doubt about it. Um, and, and right after that, of course, and by the way, not to give short trips to the compound team, um, <laughs> these are, these are some serious shooters. <laughs> these compound men and compound women are the best of the best bar none. Yes. Yes. Period. So um, you know, and the men, you got James Lutz, Chris Schaff, and Braden Gillen team. Yeah, um, so two world champions, a World Cup champion. Uh, can, does it get much better than that? Probably not. Yeah, yeah the, the most decorated man in World Cup history. Uh, Braden Gallantine. Exactly. So I, I, it's a solid, a solid team there. And then on the ladies' side, um, you know, some slackers there, you know. Yeah, sure. Page Pierce, world champion. <laughs> yeah. So. Reese, uh, Lindo Cho Anderson, you know, that is a solid, you know, team. It's it, Yeah. You, you have to be delighted with that one. Uh, as yeah, as the CEO absolutely. of USA Archery or just as an American observer, you just got to be happy to see the, the very best of the best that's going to be representing the United States on the compound side in Yankton. Yes. Um, and the news today, of course, from World Archery is that final list for the World Cup finals. You know, we yes. uh, we saw the Olympic Games as part of that uh, with an Olympic wild card. The champions of the Olympic Games, Meta Gazots of Turkey for the men and An San of Korea for the women. But they're going to be up against some tough shooters from the United States like Casey and Mackenzie, um, yes. as well as Deepika Kumari, who arguably may have something to prove. Svetlana Gombayeva, who won the stage in Lausanne and performed great for Russian Federation. Elena Osipova of Russia. Then we have the fantastic Lisa Unruh of Germany and a um, really good performer from Tokyo, Michelle Kropen of Germany, uh, making it on points from the World Cup circuit this year for the recurve women. So Casey and Mackenzie are up against some of the very best, uh, not the least of whom is Anne San, but 
gosh, you know what, Rod, I'm kind of hoping for a rematch here. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, it, I, that would be wonderful. Now for the recurve men, Brady Ellison and Jack Williams carrying the stars and stripes into the stadium in Yankton, uh, where they will be up against folks like Atnu Das of India, the stage winner from Guatemala, one of the finest recurve men in Asia. Uh, Mete Gazos, of course, the new Olympic champion from Turkey, uh, a kid with a lot of charisma and a lot of uh, personality and uh, a great representative for our sport overall, Rod, I, I'm sure you'll agree. Yes. Then you've got Nicholas Demore of Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands. Nicholas, uh, just a talented guy. And yeah, he he's is. benefited from training in the United States uh, with some of our shooters. And he's got just a tremendous amount of potential down the road. Maybe we need to see if we can't get him to move to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Maro Nespoli, for us old guys, Maro Nespoli, our hero, uh, winning the silver medal in Tokyo, Maro doing it off points, as well as Max Beckmuller of Germany, and then uh, Yun Sanchez of Spain. So uh, it'll it'll be an action-packed recurve crowd. But when it comes to the compound side of this thing, Rod, the deck is stacked. We've got some serious contenders representing the United States for the compound men. Chris Schaff and Braden Galantine. Uh, they will have been coming off a hopefully successful world championship campaign straight into the venue in Yankton for the world cup final, where they're going to find themselves up against folks like Mike Schlusser, Abshek Virma, who I once saw shoot 50 tens in a row in, in Thailand. Um, Federico Pagnoni, Adrian Gontier, uh, the young and upcoming Matthias Fullerton of Denmark and Joseph Bosanski. It's going to be a firecracker of a match. I think Rod. Yeah. Um, you know, we have, we have two great guys in that thing, but you look at the depth there uh, across it. I mean, men's compound is, is a very tough place to play. Uh, yeah. But you know, you just named some earlier when we were talking about the junior worlds, think of guys, you know, yep. like Cooper and, and some of these folks who are coming up when it comes to compound talent for both men and women, the United States is in the finest position it's ever been in right now. And uh, you know, I think we'll see evidence of that. Yeah, it is always interesting because you'll, when you're talking to the athletes, they will always say that it's harder to make our team than it is to try and win a world cup Sure. And on the compound side. And, and they, they know the dogfight that they have. It is, it is as good as any field in, you know, finals field in a world cup. And they have to deal with that on the day to day at all of our USAT events um, because of the depth on the ladies side and the men's side. So yeah. I think they're, they're going to be battle tested. They're going to be ready to go, but um, yeah, the talent to I me, mean, you look at what, what Mikey has done this year. Um, you know, that guy is, is a talent, a very, very rare talent. So our guys definitely have uh, a difficult road, but a fun road and it should be really, really good to watch. Absolutely. And no less for that, the compound women, uh, the standout from Colombia, Nora Valdez will be there. Uh, Braden Galantine's, Wife Tanya Galanty, representing Denmark at the moment, is uh, going to be uh, competing for Denmark. And then Sarah Lopez from Colombia. Uh, Nora won the stage in Guatemala. Tanya won the stage in Lausanne and has had a spectacular performance so far this season. And of course, Sarah Lopez, one of the most decorated compound women in the last 10 years. But they're not going to have an easy time. They're up against young talents like America's Savannah Vanderweer who is just really, really a good shooter. She um, came very close to making it on points. She's got the yes. host country slot for the United States. There's Paige Pierce, of course, the world champion, another young talent from the United States of America. Paige has been doing spectacularly in representing uh, the Stars and Stripes in the last couple of years. Toya Ellison, Brady's uh, wife, is shooting for Slovenia still. Uh, she'll be in there. Andrea Becerra of Mexico. And then the formidable champion of the world from the Russian Federation, Natalia Abdieva. Uh, this is going to be just as tough a bunch of matches as we will see for the men. In fact, maybe even more so the compound women, super competitive. Yeah, we see half that field at our USATs, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's, uh, it's fun. Um, and it's going to be, if you're an archery fan, I'm sorry, but you need to watch. Um, 
to be honest, you need to go to Yankton and watch it in person. Yes. Uh, it's, it's great to, to watch it on TV, but go to Yankton. Um, you know, South Dakota has been incredibly supportive of these events being in Yankton. Um, Bruce and, and the NFA have done a great job in, in, in putting in literally <laughs> with COVID and all the challenges that they've had. And in some cases, some of these things at the last minute, having, you know, to change and put on, they've done a great job and I expect it'll be, um, it'll be a wonderful event and everybody, you know, if you get a chance, if you're an archery geek, uh, you need to go, you need to watch. Yep. That's an excellent point because Yankton is very accessible. Um, you can get there easily from Omaha, from Sioux Falls, from Sioux city. You can also yes. um, drive there from a, from a lot of locations without uh, a lot of effort. It's not expensive to stay there uh, or around there, you know, within a 20 mile or 20 minute drive of Yankton, you've got all sorts of options, mm -hmm. but folks, yeah. this is going to be a spectacular event and it's on American soil for the first time in over a decade and a half. And I think that uh, you, you, if you have one thing to do with archery this season, getting to Yankton and watching this thing and having the opportunity to get close to the top archers of the world, watch their yes. form, look at how they do what they do, see it firsthand. It, I got to say this, Rod, TV does not come close to firsthand archery. No. It just doesn't. It doesn't capture it, everything. It, it's very true. And, you know, you didn't, you didn't get a chance to go to the Olympic Games and sit in the stands there, but feel free to go to Yankton and paint your face in red, white, and blue and bring the flag and, and cheer on our team. Um, there's nothing like it. And, yeah, there's, no, there's nothing that says that you have to be quiet. Matter of fact, the best ones are usually loud. And yeah, and in fact, we encourage loud crowds. for these events. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, so loud started all the way back in Barcelona in 1992 <laughs> when a bunch of crazy Danes showed up with brass instruments and drums, and it has gotten louder ever since. It's, it's, it's what we want. We want a big American crowd there to, to cheer on the athletes from around the world, from 162 world archery countries who are going to be coming to America to try yes. to take on our best shooters. And, yes. uh, and Rod, you know, uh, we are, we are a, a very egalitarian podcast, but come on, <laughs> come on out and support team USA, support your favorite shooters, wherever they're from, because this is a great opportunity. And it's quite honestly, it's once in a lifetime that you get a chance to do something like that in an intimate venue, like, like Yankee. Right. Back to back. Right. I mean, these, yeah. these events are back to back. That just doesn't happen anywhere. So it's a it's a great thing and a great opportunity. And I encourage everybody to go. Um, the city will be turned out for this. I guarantee you, you're going to see oh, a lot. A, it's a big archery city. And they really, yeah. you know, it, it's sometimes it's, it's nice people. to be a big fish in a small pond, Rod. And uh, Yankton <laughs> yes. really gets behind archery. They do. They do. And, and again, the state does. So it, it's wonderful that, you know, that they're willing to, you know, really all get behind these events. And so please show up, uh, get in the stands, be loud. Uh, you'll get a chance for your autographs. You're going to see all of that stuff. Um, the things that we couldn't do in, in, uh, in Tokyo, unfortunately, um, you're going to be able to do here. So hopefully everything continues as it is. And uh, it's going to be a really good world championship and world cup final. And, and I expect the Americans to definitely uh, hold their own. Remember, you know, two of those, athletes are going for uh the uh, world cup final record of six right right uh, sarah and brady you know yep. so they got they have that in the underlying you know is like okay who's going to be the first to six and that in itself is an unbelievable accomplishment um so Yep. And I, I have a feeling we're going to see some great performances from Brady in particular, because I think that he's got, uh, he's still got fire in the belly right now. And with the yes. world championship coming up and as the defending champion, I yes. believe we may find that he's got something to prove and he's going to pull the stops and, and get it done. So I, I am expecting spectacular performances, great stories. Of course, uh, world archery will be there. There will be, uh, some TV coverage, but if you really want the full experience, folks, get to Yankton, figure out a way to get there because that event is going to be the archery event of probably the next two years uh, in terms of opportunities to see something and, and get there and, 
and really experience it firsthand, it might be the best opportunity for the next 10. So Rod, I, uh, I know I'll see you there and yes, uh, there's going to be, it's going to be a who's who of archery at this event. Um, not, not the least of whom will be people like the president of world archery or Erdner, the Congress of world archery, where the Congress is made up of each of the countries sending their representatives and uh, we're going to do all we can, Rod, to keep Steve Anderson from realizing his plot of banning target quivers because, you know, it, it just can't succeed. It can't. You know, on this one, and he will know this, he will know this very, very well. I'm with you. I am one of those people who still prefers um, guitar quiver. So, I, so I there am, you go. I like to look down and see my knocks, see my arrows, and... Um, it's just, I do. And I like to have the pockets because I, I carry too much stuff. So anyways, um, yes, I am with you. I, I, am, I, am, a, I am loyal to the target quiver. And uh, I think it, <laughs> we, we need to definitely, um, you know. Protect the target quiver. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so there you go, Big Cat, the CEO <laughs> of World Archery, a world field champion before you were. He knows how he knows the score. Rod Benzer. Hey, thanks, Rod, for, for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you very much.